I don't buy the idea that, you know, the society the way it is right now, it has to be this way. Welcome to Rewrite the Rules with your host, Alex Starr. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. It's time to live life on your own terms. What do you really want? For the first time in my life, being a drug addict shifted from being a burden into being a blessing. And that was really, really powerful for me because in the beginning, it was kind of like, poor me. I have this disease. I'm different than people. Um, Can't believe that happened. Into, holy shit, I now have a powerful story that's an asset to help other men who are struggling. Oh shit, I have a better relationship than ever with my family as a result of this dark past because it like brought us together in this powerful way. Uh, Holy shit, I have this desire to be the best man I can be for the rest of my life because I know what the alternative is. Welcome everybody to episode number 60 of Rewrite the Rules. I am your host, Alex Starr, and this is the podcast for realizing your potential through doing it on your own terms. Yeah. Today's guest is my buddy, Shea Boland, and... We go through the gamut on this one. His story is incredible. His rise back from hitting a pretty big low about five years ago and the man he is today and the steps he took to turn his entire life around is something that is applicable to everybody. Um, So it was just such a pleasure sitting down and talking to him and now meeting up with him and a few other guys every Friday morning to do a cold water plunge uh, at Barton Springs Pool here in Austin, which is great. So just a terrific guy um, and a really, really good conversation. So looking forward to you guys hearing it. Um, you can find me, send me an email at alexalexstar.com. Um, my Instagram is alexhstar. Been really trying to do that whole game and figure out IGTV and all that shit. It's a lot of stuff to keep track of, <laughs> but also trying not to complain and just kind of roll with the punches and keep creating stuff for you guys. So uh, love everybody very much. And you know what to do. If you're enjoying it, subscribe. Tell your friends. Um, shoot me a message. I always love getting those. And I hope everyone has a terrific week. Enjoy the show with my man, Shay. Hello, my friend. What's up, man? It's good to be here. How are we doing? I'm doing awesome. It is a beautiful night out here for a podcast, huh? Yes, sir. Could this be nice better. breeze. Yeah, I'm loving it. Uh, I'm going to get comfortable. Let's get comfortable. I might take my shoes off at some point. Dude, I was just thinking that too, actually. Should we yeah, do that? Let's do it. Let's do it while we're, while we're recording. This is the first time for people just listening. We're out at this park in Austin, right on the water, called Auditorium Shores, if you ever visit. And it's about 85 degrees out right now. Yeah, I'd say so. Maybe. 85. Plus five, yeah, yeah, maybe ninety, and uh, we're in the shade underneath this beautiful oak tree, we're sitting down on a towel. This is the first time I think I've, I've done a podcast not in, at least in a chair. Yeah, yeah. Um, but under this oak tree, nice grassy lawn right next to a nice little trail. People this, are running and stuff. This towel, it's more like a shawl, and it's very feminine. And I feel very comfortable here. It Thanks. Feels like you know where I got it. Like a yeah, this is your girl. This is yeah. your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I like the girlfriend it. spot. It, is, it feels very uh, like we should meditate or something. Huh? I know, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, stoked for you to be on the show, man. I'm stoked to be here. After sliding on in to the DMs. Yes. And uh, 
and now here we are. Hell yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's cool because I was initially drawn to what you're putting out on social media and stuff because you just got this very, very vivacious charisma and message that you're putting out, right? Like you're very, very adamant about the fact about, I want to be positive. I want to be positive. I want to be in service to others. Extremely adamant about that. And so that's when I was first thinking, Ooh, what what is this guy up to? This is someone that I should, I should meet this guy. Right. 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 So how did you come to the place you're at now? Like, um, I know you went through some stuff and fitness, but you know, let's, let's go back a little bit and Take us back to, let's just jump right in here. Take us back to like the darkest hour when you were into the things you're into and kind of explain that stuff yeah, for us. Yeah, sure. Give us the background on shit. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the darkest era, uh, hour was 2012, Venice Beach, California, heroin addict. And all I had to my name was a backpack, a bike, my phone, some headphones, um, a job that I was just about to lose and um, was almost going to get kicked out from this place that I was living. Um, long story short, I uh, was born and raised in Montana from age 16 to about 23, normal party animal, you know, smoked weed every day, drinking a couple times a week. Uh, life was good, lots of friends, good relationship with my family. Um, had some awesome relationships and of course trial and error, um, struggled in in a lot of various areas, but overall life was good. Uh, substances and partying was complimenting my life. It was by no means at the time, uh, just this desperate need to escape life. It was, it was to have fun, um, and be social and long, uh, about 2008, I uh, had this vision of going to Europe for this big backpacking trip. I, I worked for my dad doing construction out in the brutal winters of Montana in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. You know, it's this 10, 20 below zero weather, and it was just absolutely miserable. Um, but I had this vision of going to Europe and doing this big backpacking trip and have a distant relative in London and a relative in Ireland, and I was going to be able to stay with them for free. Um, Saved up almost $10,000, and within one month, I got two DUIs. And at that point, I wasn't drinking alcoholically necessarily. I was just kind of a reckless party animal, you know? I wasn't... It's like all of us are. Where yeah. I'm pretty sure like that is all technically alcoholism, but <laughs> yeah. it's also normal. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, it was binge drinking is yeah, what they yeah, call yeah. it, right? It's yeah. like pre-alcoholism, yeah. you know? Um, you know, I never craved alcohol. I wasn't drinking during the day or in the morning or anything like that. It was just hitting it hard in the nightlife scene and some situations happened. I got two DUIs in one month and I, all that money had to go towards, you know, taking care of court stuff. And, and I just slipped into this pretty dark depression for a few months and realized that I had to start staying home on a Friday night and, and doing things differently, stop hanging out with that crowd as much. And, and it sucked. You know, I didn't know what to do. So, uh, my little sister, she's five years younger. <clears throat> um, she, you know, would be hanging out at home watching a movie. And, and so she has really bad arthritis at the time. And so she was prescribed heavy opiate medications. Well, that's how it happened. Yeah. It was, uh, the gateway. Exactly. And so what were they? Was it oxy? 
Yeah. Um, everything. Oxys and lower tabs and Vicodins and, and uh, we started taking those together. <laughs> hold on. Hey, puppy. Hey, buddy, a, hold on. Get off that we stuff, have dude. a puppy in the mix. <laughs> hey, doggy. Come here, buddy. Oh, you're good. He's cute enough, he gets away with it. <laughs> what is that, little Britney Spaniel or Cocker Spaniel? Not sure. Cute little, cute little fucker, huh? Yeah, dude. I want him to stay. A little dog just interrupted us. All right, he could have been our podcast dog, right? Yeah, yeah. as long so as he don't doesn't step on these controls here. He I don't did, know. dude. Yeah, he there's did. a little he slobber met, on yeah. that. Oh, that's funny. As soon as we get into the heavy shit, too, yeah. the puppy's like, "No!" Right, right. Well, um, so you start with your sister has arthritis, so you're starting to kind of put your hand you know, in the like, uh, medicine cabinet. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, it's just like the synchronicity of it all. Of, um, you know, having that depression connecting with my little sister of like hanging out together watching movies together um her kind of telling me about this this medication oh, it makes you feel good and uh man right when i started taking that i was like the stress and the d- depression was gone for a little bit you know it took the edge off of my shitty situation and once a week turned into multiple times a week turned into me stealing them from her um and it was on it was full-blown opiate addiction and uh, after about a year, I decided to, it was a, a cry for help. I, I told my parents everything. They knew I wasn't doing too well, but uh, I really was a master at maintaining a facade that I had it all together, uh, but they knew something was wrong. So. What, are you, what are you doing at that point? Are you working? Or are you just... I was, uh, my little DJ career was really taken <laughs> off. I was, uh, as far as Montana standards go, <laughs> a pretty popular DJ. What part of Man- Montana was it? Uh, Missoula. Missoula, yeah. yeah. The only part of Montana, Montana that anybody knows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's an awesome, beautiful college town. Yeah, yeah it's I beautiful. Mean, it really they is, throw yeah. down there. It was, I mean, some packed college bars. What was your bars. DJ name? DJ Vices. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and so I was uh, really trying to make my name as a DJ and... Uh, was really passionate about it. It was a lot of fun. I put a lot of effort into it. But, you know, on the side, I have this little opiate addiction that's just becoming pretty big, you know, and pretty sketchy. Um, and, and you know it at this point. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's, you know, that's a, to our, our listeners, that's a, I really want to make it knowing that this whole time I knew, like, this is not okay. Like, this is wrong. I was right. under no denial of, like, I need this stuff to be okay. Um Whenever I share my story about all of this stuff, I always like to say the expression of I had this delusional sense of optimism that I was going to get off everything. And, and I was even having troubles with, with marijuana and, and drinking. Is like I had this dream of being 100%, 100% sober at some point, you know, um, that for me to achieve the things I wanted to achieve in, in business and in a family and relationship, um, I needed to be running at my, my full potential with a clear mind. I had that optimism, you know, I, um, and that started as a, as a young teenager. I remember when I started smoking weed, I was like, this is great and all, but I think for me to really achieve some real shit and to be a, a, a strong male, um, I need to be hundred percent clear headed. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it took another decade to, uh, of hard knocks to realize like, Oh, I can't safely use substances in any form, but, um, so what happened there? So you're in there and you're, you're in Montana um, I'm curious about 
Well, so first of all, how'd you transition into heroin then? Yeah. So are you injecting it at this point? Not heroin. Heroin is not popular in Montana Uh-oh. at all. It was very hard to find. I never did heroin uh, until I went, well, I did it maybe twice in Montana towards the end of my stint in Montana. Okay. Um, this is, uh, uh, we were getting in some, some pure like fentanyl powder, which mm. is one of the strongest opiates in the world. Yeah, yeah, People are dying that. left and right. Yeah. So we were getting it from Seattle. It was being made in a lab. Uh, we called it sugar because it tastes like sugar when you smoke it. It was nasty shit because it like got you super fucked up, but um, the high only lasted so long, you know. And it was then you just want more, and you and it tastes like sugar. Yeah, and then you get into withdrawals Which, immediately, and it's just yeah. miserable. Uh, so that um, started selling ecstasy and uh, sassafras, which is a pure form of MDA, like a precursor to MDMA. It was really. I was throwing events at the time in Montana. Um, I mean, two, three hundred people were showing up. Like it was a lot of fun. My biggest party that I got a DJ in front of was called Disco Bloodbath. There was three thousand people there. I was on like this elevated stage, um, and that was right when I was shooting Dilaudid. Dilaudid is another really intense pain medication, and we were injecting them. And it's uh, really powerful stuff. It's like got to a point where it's like. I don't want to keep doing this, but like, I don't want to be sick. You know what I mean? It's like with, when your tolerance gets so high with opiates, like you got to maintain that tolerance. Right, this right. is not about getting high after a certain point. This is about like, I need to be normal to function for these shows or for work and right. to be in social situations. Avoiding the withdrawal. Exactly. Too. The withdrawal is just miserable. Yeah. Um, I feel like too, you get caught up in a lot of tomorrow, 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 mm, tomorrow, yes. tomorrow, over and over and over again. Not, I've never been addicted to substances like that but just even with drinking mm-hmm. you know you kind of same thing you, you drink a little bit you think god you know I just I can't keep doing this like you said if I want to be the 100% person I know I could be yeah. this is standing in my way right. but it's a lot of um, yeah, yeah yeah I know that but I'm going to start I'm going to do that tomorrow right just not just not today yeah and then and then six months goes by or a year exactly and then and then it turns into you try and you realize how big this thing is and that I can't do it on my own and that either some sort of miracle is going to have to happen or like I'm going to have to get locked up as, as some sort of intervention because I can't stop myself from, from going to the dealer's house or I'll never forget this vivid memory of uh, my relationship with my family is just completely on the rocks as, as a result of everything that I was doing. Um, my parents would give me one last chance to stay at the house. They bought a safe for my little sister. That's the that's the extent it went. My my dad had to buy a safe to keep his son out of his daughter's pills. You Fuck know, man, yeah. Um, so, I, but I got into that safe. I I cracked the code, um, and, and so birth, I was sneaking was pills birth- there for a few weeks. I imagine it being her birthday or something like that. No. That's like what my parents would put oh on gosh. it. They just put like their, oh, birth, her birth, yeah. they put their birthday for the code. It was something or easy. I can't remember. Yeah, what yeah, I, yeah. I think I got into the manual before my dad got to hide oh, the manual okay. or some shit. And, uh, um, but after sneaking those for a few weeks, there's one day in particular that she had one left and, and, I knew that if I got caught taking that one pill, which I would if I if I took it, my little sister was probably saving it for when she was really in pain. Um, and uh, I was sitting there alone in the house, um, just crying to myself of like, I, I just desperately did not want to take this pill because I knew I was going to get kicked out of the house and my sister's going to be in pain. Um, I ran back upstairs and just like, just almost like held myself of like, just don't do it, you know? And um, it just 
at that point, it's not a matter of willpower. You know, this is, it's a big misunderstanding about addiction. It's so tragic because this is not a moral failing. Like I'll never forget that day that everything in my being did not want to take that pill. Um, but I went down there and took it and I got kicked out and my sister's crying and, um, and it just set off a a sequence of events that really sucked, you know? And it's like, I knew full well what was going to happen. I did it anyways. You know, there's a story in a lot of the literature of the, the recovery program that I work is the story of a jaywalker. It's like, it's, it's the same sort of situation. It's just someone goes out and gets hit by a car and they kind of like it. And they, they know that like, it's not okay, but they go out and do it again. And then all of a sudden he's in this body cast, like hobbling out into the street. And it's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And parents are saying, don't do it again, dude. You're crazy. This is jaywalking. Why are you doing this? And he does it anyways. And what do you think that is? Why do you think that you physically couldn't restrain yourself even though you wanted to? That is a, you know, it's a, a very complex question. I think, you know, we could have the debate of it being a genetic predisposition. But I think I mean, there's like, some science you, behind that. Personally, at that moment, what did you feel that other, do you think, feel like it's another presence? Because we all have like the good and the bad. What, right. and you personally, what did you feel like that was? Yeah, yeah. If I had to best describe it, the 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 ease and comfort that comes as a result of taking a substance that you are addicted to almost seems like kind of a, a like a warm blanket, so to speak, as it seems like it's the solution to the problem mm-hmm. and it's going to take away the anxiety. And they, they do, they do for a short window, you know? And so having that like thing exist as like, you know, it's almost like a neural pathway of like, my brain is telling me to fucking get it. You know what I mean? This is not like, oh, I want to get high. It's like I'm trying to fight a, my brain telling me it needs that. It's almost like a hunger response or a, a, a fight or flight sort of response. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's tons of studies about addiction that my pathways are actually different, you know? And I, I wouldn't be able to tell you too much about the science behind all this stuff, but it's, there's, I mean, addiction is an actual disease. Right. You know, and people are dying as a result. Yeah. Um, when you were starting down and, you know, that that second part where you actually get kicked out of the house family I'm guessing just not a good relationship at that point is that when you then went into recovery I did for a few months and I knew I needed to stay away from the hard drugs Uh, I went to treatment and it it, it helped a lot and I was like this is my moment you know I want to I want to really put this stuff behind me but what I didn't do at that time was I didn't start cultivating a new way of life. I was the same man. I, I hung out with the same friends. I was DJing again. It's just, I wasn't drug dealing. Isn't I wasn't that, using drugs. Yeah. Isn't that, yeah, sorry. Continue on that. That's so important, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. I, it's, it's cliche as hell where, you know, you're a combination dude, of the five people you hang around yeah, most with. Pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be a better human. I just was trying to white knuckle it and not use drugs right. or alcohol. And right. that was miserable. Right. But with the same crowd as before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I th- at the time I thought just drugs and alcohol were the problem and all I got to do is just stop using drugs and alcohol and I'll be good. Um, but then... Uh, a few months went by and those feelings of being different than my friends and kind of being the boring one and not being able to use, um, FOMO. Started, started creeping in. Yeah. Lots mm. of FOMO. Um, 
And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say, just don't do pills. Like, don't do the hard stuff. Like, I want to drink and I'm going to smoke weed. And quickly that turned into <laughs> same shit. So Back into the hard stuff again? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even worse than before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I could imagine that because alcohol really just deteriorates all sense of that willpower that was keeping you white knuckling. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, if I didn't have the disease of addiction, you know, because there's different types of people. There's people right. that are heavy drinkers. They can use drugs. Um, you know, people could use drugs every day and maybe not be an addict for a while. Like, they, they're able to manage it. But me, it's like I can't stop once I'm started in that I just want to go do more regardless of the consequences in that um, – so it, it put me on a path of even more darkness. Um, fast forward a little bit, went to a detox center and got off everything. And my parents were like, all right, we're, we're shipping you somewhere. We want you to leave the state and, and just get out of here and, and live in a sober living house. And so I was like, I'll go anywhere you want to as long as it's warm and it's on the coast. And... I was like, I've always wanted to live in a big city. And so I, I, uh, chose Los Angeles, California. Nice. <laughs> so I was on an all expenses paid trip <laughs> to Los Angeles, California, rents paid. Uh, that's a positive way to look at it. Yeah. That's in my mind. I was like, this is my opportunity. Let's, let's make this shit happen. And, uh, so I lived in this sober living house. Um, and same thing happened again was, I didn't start cultivating a new way of life. I, I, I wanted to kind of make my name as a uh, DJ down there, um, started networking a lot with all that, still staying sober and on good terms with the sober living house. Um, and then decided, like, I'm going to sneak some drinks and I'm just going to stay away from the hard stuff again. And I was still, I was going to some meetings, you know, mm-hmm. meetings are, you know, some of the part of the program of recovery that I work. And, um, and shortly thereafter, I met, I can't remember exactly how it all transpired, but I met a lady at a pharmacy who wanted to sell her pills. And I had a weak moment, you know, and it was just like, all right, I'm going to try to manage this situation. You know, life was going good. I was stoked. I was like, I was in pretty good shape. I was riding my bike a lot. I was making friends in Los Angeles. I got an awesome job as a uh, bartender on yachts in the ocean, which is cool. It's like a well, it's not as cool as it sounds. It was like dining cruises and stuff. You know, people that have bachelorette parties and it was fun. It was cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It wasn't like I was with bartending a, on yachts in the ocean. Yeah. I, I thought that sounded cool. <laughs> it wasn't like I was on a millionaire yacht. <laughs> That's like, what I pictured though. Yeah. You shouldn't have clarified. <laughs> Just next time say that. Be like, nah, I worked on a yacht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. There wasn't a helicopter pad or yeah, anything like yeah, that. But yeah. That's what I was picturing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, Go back was, to that. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was picturing, dude. I was picturing you like, this is honestly, as soon as you said that, the image I had in my mind was you in a tank top and shorts, maybe shirtless, and you're just serving drinks to 50 to 60-year-old Was females. there a bow tie on there? A uh, shirtless with the bow tie? Shirtless with the bow tie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, what I was, that's seriously what I was picturing. Good. You hit it on the head. Let's just <laughs> let's keep that. Uh, crazy. So, yeah, you're out in L.A. and do all that stuff. Where did you, um, like, with all this stuff, you know, it's, it's incredible – it's incredible how it's just that one moment of weakness with that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that can just throw you down that path. Yeah. Um, so just to fast forward a little bit, because I, you know, just curious about right now, 
do you ever worry about that now? Because you've been sober for how long? Uh, a little over five years. Yeah. Okay. Um, congrats, by the way. Thank you. Um, do you ever worry about that now? Mm. In a constructive, healthy way, yes, but also at the same time, no. Um, what do you mean? Because all the work that I do, it's as if the best way to describe it is what makes me an addict is someone who can't resist temptation. That like, I, it's like I always say yes, and regardless of the consequences. And so all the spiritual work that I do and in me um, doing, you know, I can get into kind of the things I do, you know, speaking at treatment centers, mentoring other young men, um, step work it's called where I'm taking inventory of like, how am I doing? How am I feeling today? Like, um, am I, am I suffering some, from some extreme anxiety? Where, what is the root of this anxiety? You know, just, and I go to therapy each week, all these things that are putting me on a better path. It makes it so the problem doesn't exist. It's as if like I recoil from the opportunity to use drugs as if it's like a hot flame is the best analogy to put it. You know, it's like, it's like, it's not like, oh, I, I want to, but I can't sort of thing. Like that doesn't work out for me. But all the work that I do of growing spiritually, it makes it so the problem doesn't exist because fighting temptation is fucking miserable. I've tried that. It doesn't work for very long. So that's what, the, that's what that term dry means. You hear of a dry alcoholic. Yeah. They're not, they didn't cultivate a new way of life. They're just staying sober and they're fucking miserable because they haven't like done anything different, you know, because alcohol was their solution. Heroin was my solution. So when you take away the heroin, I need a new solution. And that's where my spirituality and relationship with God of, of my own understanding comes in. Crazy. And what would you say out of all those has been the most beneficial or... Yeah, which one helped you start on that path? Was it did you start by going to therapy and that was kind of triggered all this, or did you start with something else? Let's see. Uh, In terms of your, I'll finish recovery. up kind of the Los Angeles. So yeah, realized that you know pills were way too expensive. That was hard to find. Got into heroin. Heroin was hard to maintain. That facade I talked about that I was a master at at maintaining. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, the cracks yeah. were starting to show. Uh, called my parents for one last opportunity for help. Like my dad was coming down pretty much to cut ties with me if I didn't like choose to get help or like what's going on. Um, uh, the life of a heroin addict was fucking scary to me cause I knew I was better than this and I knew I didn't know how to use heroin very well. Like I did too much of it. And like, uh, I remember one time I fell asleep on the toilets, like, um, and my legs just went completely paralyzed for like two hours and I couldn't walk and I didn't know if it was permanent. It was fucking scary. I had to like what? hobble to the room. Yeah. Another time I woke up in the Venice beach boardwalk bathroom with throw up everywhere in a line of people just like waiting to, to get in. And I don't know how long I was out for it. I, wow. you know, like shit, like, cause every time I would do heroin, it was in like a one man bathroom where I couldn't be resuscitated if I overdosed. So the fact that I'm here today with five years sobriety is a fucking miracle, you yeah. know? Um, so dad gave me one last chance for help, said, we want you to go to treatment. Um, it was either Austin, Colorado or Utah. I chose Austin simply because it's, I thought it'd be warmer here and, um, never been here. No one in my family's ever been here. Uh, and, and before I knew it, I was on a one-way ticket to Austin, Texas. And I lived in a, I was at a treatment center called Anchor West. And it was with like 15 other guys from all around the country. And we lived at a badass mansion and did CrossFit five days a week. Uh, I was there for 90 days. 
we had to like make our beds perfectly and uh so little things would happen like jeff i noticed you didn't make your bed zen um i'm afraid you know like saying shit like that because it's like well if you can't make your bed right that means what makes you think you stay sober? You know, we had it was that like military oh, style. Oh, I see what you, know you what mean? mean. I see what you mean. Okay, it was like a military style like treatment center where like you need to have everything in order. And exactly. If you, don't, if you don't have your external world in order, then what makes us think that you have your internal world exactly. in order? Exactly. Yeah, and there's this whole like atmosphere of accountability of like, oh shit, Forrest is late on his assignment. What's going on, Forrest? Why are you late on your assignment? Because uh, it's like part of the bigger picture of being a better man. Like we got to, you know. Uh, match our intentions with our actions, right? Um, how do you think? How did you guys use the masculinity as a part of the process? That was huge. Um, In what ways? I mean, there's a few factors. There's the fitness and the CrossFit and being competitive, and you know all the high fives at the end, and just camaraderie in that aspect. A very, you know, alpha testosterone driven. But then there's the the process groups that we'd have where we'd take turns pretty much breaking down crying of like expressing emotions for the first time in our lives. Like we're not talking about drugs and alcohol at this point. We're talking about the stuff that we we've struggled with as, as children or teenagers and heartbreak and uh, traumatic events with our family. And it's like, I started to see like, Oh, this is a big part of like why me and these men want to escape. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so we're here talking about it. Like that's true masculinity right there. Right. You guys were you guys were filling up the void that you guys were trying to fill with the drugs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you how did you keep that going though? Because I, I, you know you hear about a lot of these rehab centers, and I feel like it's one of those things where you go to, and when you're in that circle, it's incredible. You're a different person, and then as soon as you leave that social network, it slowly deteriorates. Right. How how did, how did you keep that going? Yeah. Um, it's a daily process. It's yeah. really a day to day thing. Um, in the beginning it was all about fear. It was like, I was so afraid to, to going back to heroin and like the, the insanity of my addiction, like all those moments, like that one I talked to you about with my sister's pill of like, these things are happening that I really don't want to happen. I don't, I don't want to use drugs anymore. You know what I mean? This is not me wanting to get high. Like I'm scared to death. Um, and with those potential overdoses, like I'm going to lose my life if I go, if I have one beer, I'm going to lose my fucking life. Like it's all tied in together. One hit of weed, uh, it's going to, it's going to kill me. And, and so in the beginning it was all about desperation. Like I need help. I need a solution. And that carried me over for a while, but, uh, that was only sustainable for, for so long that it had to transpire into something more. Um, so I did, you know, there's a process of, you know, going to meetings, um, having a a mentor, um, having conversations about how I'm doing, um, uh, maintaining a job, just all the basics, you know, kind of rekindling my relationship with my family in kind of a constructive way where yeah. there's lots of communication. Yeah. Um, behavior with women is starting to get a little healthier cause I can't have the same patterns as before because I start to beat myself up and all that shit. So, um, and, and just, putting my sobriety first. That's what I did in the beginning. And then it transpired into something much greater. When I started helping other alcoholics and drug addicts and mentoring them, going to treatment centers and sharing my story for the first time in my life, being a drug addict shifted from being a burden into being a blessing. And that was really, really powerful for me because in the beginning it was kind of like poor me 
I have this disease. I'm different than people. Um, can't believe that happened. Into holy shit, I now have a powerful story that's an asset to help other men who are struggling. Oh shit, I have a better relationship er- than ever with my family as a result of this dark past because it like brought us together in this powerful way. Mm. Uh, holy shit, I have this desire to be the best man I can be for the rest of my life because I know what the alternative is. And then little things were happening like part of the process of the the work that I do to stay sober is called the amends process. When you go back through uh, times in your lives of when you fucked people over and you got to go make it right. You got to call the people or go see them? Go see them. So the first one I had to do, you know, I went on a... Damn, yeah. yeah. The first one I had to do was go... (laughs) to my grandmother in the nursing home and admit to her that I stole a bunch of her medication when she had no idea. I stole money out of her purse. And uh, so I sat with her and, and you know, with her, I, I maintained that facade perfectly. Like she had no idea her grandson is this drug addict. She thought I was, you know. Still, when you went back and talked to her, she had no idea. Until yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I wh- think I would even hide drinking from her. Like I was this good little... I don't know what her image was, like a Christian boy or something. And what'd she say? Well, I, I just was completely honest with her. In, in, let me backtrack just a hot second. I was in the car in the nursing home. I didn't really have a ton of faith at that point. But I was sitting there. I was like, God, if you exist, like whatever the hell you are, like I need some strength right now. And because uh, every ounce of my body does not want to do this. is so uncomfortable. And... I'm sitting there just like sweating bullets, not wanting to do it, but knowing it's the right thing to do and uh, walk in there. I mean, it's like a high end of itself. You know what I mean? Like walking in, I'm about to do this shit, you know? Um, and and I, I walked through that with grace. You know, I, I I was just completely transparent about everything. And she just gave me the longest hug and said, you know, I forgive you. and And just saw it from a standpoint of like, oh, he's suffering in this way rather than like, oh, my grandson is a sketchy, sketchy dude, you know? Yeah. That's powerful shit. Yeah. Do you Um, continue to do that now? When you screw up now, do you take that lesson? Yeah. So I had to- Confront people? I mean, there's a side to do it with all, I mean, ex-girlfriends, I, I called them. Say, yeah. I was like, I'm picturing a lot of girls. Uh. Yeah. There was one girl I had to call. I haven't talked to her in like 10 years and I had to ask if like I gave her an SCD or not because I wasn't sure. Oh man. And uh, it was so awkward, but it was, it turned into a cool conversation. Sure. She's, and it was, it's just crazy the way it worked. You know, it was uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong, but it turned into something pretty powerful. Did any of them um, give some type of... No, bad no. I mean, I've had some, I've heard bad stories and stuff, but mine have all been pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, now currently, yeah. do you... That's part of the deal. So still, I'd say yeah. the most recent one that I've done, because you know, my behavior's changed a lot. I don't yeah, have yeah, to do yeah. damage sure that, control like uh, that. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure that it's much lower stakes than before for sure. Yeah. But we all screw people over accidentally yeah. sometimes. I got a funny one though. Somebody. Last year I... I, uh, for about six months I'd go into Whole Foods and, you know, you can order your smoothies and then you're like, oh, I'm going to keep shopping. And then you go and get your food and then you pay for everything at the, at the, the checkout stand. And, 
And uh, so oh, I kept doing boy, that. I know what I, you did. Yeah. <laughs> you already know. I threw that little receipt away and said, oh, I already paid for the smoothie. Yeah. And I did that probably like 10 times. And it's, you know, it's not the biggest deal in the world. But for someone like me with, with what I got going, my behavior start to kind of have this like momentum of if I'm not being a, a solid dude, like in all my affairs, it starts, I'm scared. It's going to creep up on me. And I'm going to want to like can't be in my own skin you know what i mean well it's funny thing about the the truth like that is that those little things are just as big as the big things like there is no little or small or big truth Mm -hmm. because i mean i do that stuff all the time man well i'll i'll elaborate something or i'm sorry i'll I'll embellish something you know i'll exaggerate on something i'll say that you know like, I, for instance, I had a birthday party, um, like a birthday barbecue four months ago. And there were probably 40 people that came, right? But I caught myself within a week. I was telling people that 60, 70 people were there. Even though I knew it was around 40, <laughs> but I caught myself as I went trying to make myself sound cooler. Yeah. And about two weeks after... I thought to myself, why are you just lying to people? Yeah. You know, even though it's just, it's a small, <laughs> small thing and it's, they're easy to just shrug off right. and say, man, you're just exaggerating. You're just embellishing. Yeah. It's cool. It's just a smoothie. Yeah. Shay, it's not that big a deal, but you know, yeah, you know what you're doing. It's and like it, that. And it, and it chips away at you. It's so true. It's like that story. Like, you know, every time. My buddy tells the story of the fish he caught back in the day. It gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. You know, it's like, dude, all of a sudden it's three feet long, you know, when it's yeah. only a six-inch fish. Yeah, exactly. We all do it. It's so crazy. And I think we'll probably be doing that for the rest of our lives, but it's like having awareness about it. Because I don't know what it is that makes us, like, it even, it's like we we put so much emphasis on that. That's going to be kind of, that's like, that's going to really sell it. You know what I mean? Like, it's so silly. Yeah, I think maybe it comes down to the reason why you're doing it maybe if you're trying to tell a good story and you know the the lightning made the sky light up like the 4th of July yeah, yeah yeah those types of you know rhetoric and metaphors and stuff those are obviously embellishments i think when it's a lie or it's stealing or something like that for reasons that can't even be creatively justified right you know yeah. Yep. Like for mine, it was just my ego. Exactly. I just wanted to sound cooler to people. Yeah. That's yeah. literally why I was doing it. Right. Um, and a lot of subconscious reason. Yours is you're literally stealing the smoothie. Yeah. And knowing that you're doing it. Right. Um, that's when it's just it's inexcusable. That's <laughs> when we just yeah. have to own up to it. So yeah. anyway, tell us about how you did. You eventually go up to the cashiers and tell them. Yeah. So I I walked in there with the a hundred dollar bill. And I said, I asked for the manager and the guy was like, and I, and by the way, I, I felt almost like, a. the best way to describe it is it was a very powerful experience, but it was so humbling. And it, it was like, I was walking in there and it felt like I was on a drug. Like I felt badass in a way of like all these people are rushing around on their lunch break. I'm in here about to, to own up to this. Like I felt humbling but just like powerful at the same time mm-hmm. it was intoxicating mm. and just full responsibility yeah of just like it was a real life experience yeah you know what i mean i was just feeling every every raw emotion of kind of the nervousness and like i could potentially go to jail 
Like, how's this going to go down? Yeah, I mean, what 10 of them, dude. like, what you never know. You away? Those managers. bandit. Dude, like a <laughs> department store like that or whatever, a grocery store like that, it's, you know, you never know what kind of hothead manager you're going to get. No, for real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing a guy in a, in a tie and like Kmart shoes. Like, Come here, mister. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going straight into the paddy wagon. <laughs> <laughs> As I sprint out of there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, we got, oh, another, we got another dog. What's up, doggy? What's up, buddies? Just stay away from the I, equipment. I think this one's cuter. Yeah. Hi, dogs. L- a little cleaner, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Just don't step on it. <laughs> you just try to say it as nicely as possible. Just don't yeah, fucking like, like step on it. Like the dog knows what I'm saying, yeah, too. Yeah. Just don't step on it. You say it, it all calmly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, I asked for the manager. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm the manager. What's up? And I said, hey, here's, here's what's going down. I For the past year, I think I've stolen probably... 10 smoothies totaling around a hundred dollars and um i'd like to make it right um and and yeah, is there anything i can do to make it right besides pay like what else, what do you want me to do he's like wow i've never had anyone do this before um thank you and how about you donate to the whole whole kids foundation it's called and i think at the time there all the money was going towards getting um gardening in elementary schools like mm-hmm. so the kids could learn how to garden and he's like could you donate it to the the whole kids foundation for them to get gardens and and, and that was just like that made it extra special too of like wow this money went from this like dark kind of like me just trying to one up whole foods and just save a tiny bit of money and um turned into me donating to the whole kids foundation and it was like it was just really rewarding and and so moments like that moments with my grandmother you know when i've done that with my family it makes me feel like i'm on a good path and it's like oh this is the kind of man i want to be you know not only correcting my mistakes when they happen but also doing my best to not have this shit happen you know i don't want to be put in a position when i have to do this stuff anymore you know it feels better you know (laughs) That's that's the key right there. Yeah, huh? exactly, right? But I mean, and you're 100% right that I think we all strive to knock it in those, in those positions less and 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 less. But they're, oh, they're always going to come up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're always going to come up and you always say something that you didn't mean to a friend as a joke. Right. And they take it the wrong way or they get hurt from it. They didn't mean it that way. And yep. you, you got to have those conversations. So yeah, exactly. It's powerful to be able to do that like you're doing and then have it trickle over into those now smaller things, but just as important. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, How did you transition? And I'm really curious about how you channeled all that into what you're doing now. Yeah. Into the personal training, into fitness. Um, because it's obviously a polar opposite, which is why I'm guessing you kind of chose that route. Right, right. So you know, I talked about in the beginning of sobriety, it was all about fear and kind of just fear was a big motivator. But then it turned into something I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about saying so. We're passionate about helping people. I'm stoked to be alive. I'm stoked to be a drug addict. You know, it sounds funny, but it's absolutely true because it's paved the way for the life I live now. Um, and. I was working as a, well, my first job in Austin was, uh, I was a food runner at a, a restaurant here, here in town. And, and I, I was kind of like, Oh, poor me. I'm, you know, 
here I am, what, 27 years old, like working at a restaurant at one of their lowest positions and don't have a college degree. I was like, what is in my power right now? What can I do to better the situation? It's like, oh, I can be the best food runner I could be. Uh, and so I decided just to get really good at that job. And, and then what do you know? A promotion to the server. Decided to get really good at serving. Um, not perfect by any means, but I definitely became one of the top servers and really enjoyed my job and just showed up to work with a lot of enthusiasm, made a lot of relationships with my guests and just learned how to be in society a little bit differently and uh, made a ton of friends and was started working out at that time too. You know, I just felt good. I felt productive. I was sober. This is probably three years sober. No, about two and a half years sober at this point. And, um, you know, studying on YouTube and reading books about how to excel with fitness just for my own gain. I've never fathomed being a personal trainer at any point in my life, you Mm -hmm. know, up until about a year and a half ago. And okay. Fast forward, I get another promotion. I'm the manager of the restaurant and and this is within a year and a half. No, 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 no. This is, this is over the course of probably three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's with the mentality of just doing the best you can at that specific job you yeah, have at the exactly. moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and managing, I really struggled because I wasn't passionate about it. Um, it was a whole nother beast. You know, there's a lot of office admin work that I Political just... Political stuff you got to deal yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. I just... I mean, and being a restaurant manager is just draining no matter yeah, how good you're at yeah. it. You know? It looks exhausting. Yeah. And luckily, I mean, the restaurant was beautiful. I worked with some great people and interacted with some awesome people. Um, but I knew that this was just a bus stop towards doing something much more uh, fulfilling. Okay. And then I made it work for a while, tried to be the best manager I could, but realized like, this is not what I want to do. Um, starting at that point to be motivated by some discontentment and frustration and and I wanted to get out and it's like, what is my exit plan? I'm going to come up with three criteria for my dream job. Uh, that was about a year and a half ago that I did this. This was in, yeah, 2016 of about November, I'd say. And so I was like, I want to help people. I want to be my own boss. And I want to have the creative lead for whatever I choose to do. I want to just be the one coming up with the vision. And and so I was doing some soul searching. Didn't really know what that looked like. And then fitness kind of came into my mind. And I realized like how passionate I was about working out. And I started kind of... Uh, looking at the the personal trainers at Gold's Gym and just really just looked up to them, you know, of like just trainers. These are the first trainers I've ever thought of, you know, being like. And uh, fast forward a little bit, I decided this is it. Let's do it. Got my certification materials, started studying, uh, set the set the date for Elizabeth Street to lit uh, to leave. That was the restaurant I was working at. Yeah. And April first, two thousand seventeen, was my last day there. Um, I had a hard time doing both. I realized, like, I wanted to have this safe exit out of that. Yeah, yeah, but, that's that's that gets you, doesn't it? Yeah, it it was like I was because it was supposed to be in January that I was supposed to leave, and uh, I was trying to do both at the same time, like study for my personal training, and I wanted to have all this money saved and kind of this smooth transition into like ten personal training clients, and and it didn't look like that. I. 
I, I was just working 50, 60 hours a week at this job. And it was, I was like, you know what? I need to quit completely. So I was like, April 1st, no matter what, I'm done. And uh, completely neglected all my personal training studies because I was just kept putting off. It was very overwhelming. It's a thick textbook. And um, started training a few people for free in March. Um, learned a lot and realized like, yeah, this is something I could be good at, you know, because I, I've learned a lot in that personal training book, but at the same time, a lot of it is just intuition, um, stuff that I've learned from my own yeah, working yeah. out, you know? And, uh, so I felt, I just started walking with a lot of confidence with this. Like I just started saying I'm a personal trainer. So those last few weeks at Elizabeth street, I was like a broken record. This is what I'm doing to all the guests of like, I'm leaving to be a personal trainer. Um, you know, come work with me if you'd like, if you know anyone, let me know. And, uh, decided, yeah, I had about a month's rent saved and I, I asked my family, I was like, you know, do you have my back for just a month if I need it, you know, just as a backup plan. And my parents are like, yeah, yeah, we got you. Just, do you think this is wise? And it's like, I don't know. I'm just following intuition here. I need to get out. Um, and, and so I left the, the last day I just, hit the ground running was like everything. I went and got a backpack. A personal trainer needs a nice backpack. I went and got a badass Bluetooth speaker. I got the best one. Cause I was like, I want to be a really good personal trainer. I'm going to, it's just these little like decisions that are just like carving out, making this shit happen. You know, uh, getting up super early when I wasn't used to getting up super early. Um, talking with everyone from like, you know, the barista at Starbucks to the person in the elevator, not like, Hey, I'm a personal trainer. Come work with me. But starting to like build relationships with people because I know the power of relationships and how it can transpire into something much more. Right. And I learned that at Elizabeth Street of like all these like friendships have turned into just some really great stuff. Right. Right. Um, about you know three people of all the hundreds I've talked to at Elizabeth Street before I left were interested in personal training. One guy writes me a check for three months worth of sessions of like. Can't remember. It was over a thousand dollars. You're okay. kidding! And before you left, or like as you're leaving the restaurant? After I left, yeah. yeah. Right in this because April was like my month to make right. this happen. You know what I mean? And um, and and I'm training people at the park. I'm going to their apartments and not really knowing what the fuck I'm doing, but at the same time, just like in the session, really carrying myself with a lot of confidence and um, you know, learning. Oh, that's what I don't want to do. Learning. Okay, that felt good. Oh, that's not a good idea to charge that many sessions at a time. Let's go. Let's go in a month at a time rather than you know just these little trial and error things. I just kept rolling with the punches, and you know, three clients turned into five. Um, paid my my first month's rent. Um, my buddy Stuart, all of a sudden, he needs a place to live, and we're like, dude, let's live together. Let's live with this. We went to Lamar Union, you know definitely out of my means for someone who just left their comfortable job and doesn't really have many savings, but I, they had a gym there. And so I was going to use this gym to, uh, take my clients to without paying any sort of overhead at a gym, a normal gym. <laughs> have you gotten away with that still? Not anymore. I, I'm legit now because I wasn't certified at the time. You need oh, to be okay. certified to work at a gym. Okay. So I was like, I need to be training these people somewhere right. because we're hitting a plateau here at the park. I need weights. I need, you know, right, treadmill right. and all the shit. That's badass, yeah. And so I was like... I love that. And, you know, I could go into more detail about everything, but I... I that's don't, the, that's the hustle right there. That's yeah. 
That's the definition of hustling. It's, oh man, if I could, yeah, there's, there's more to the story and all that, but I want to, you know, save some time for other stuff. But, um, I, I, we got, uh, an awesome apartment at this place, badass gym. I mean, right in South Central Austin, beautiful view of downtown. And it's, it's like, I'm just going to make this happen at any means necessary. Like, um, and that's right when like Instagram transitioned from being, uh, just like a, a dumb platform I'm posting pictures to to whatever it doesn't matter but it turned into oh I'm I'm taking a risk here you know I'd be vulnerable in my posts of like whatever me doing the splits I'm like eh, I'm living my best life I don't know it was just I didn't know what I was doing at the time I, I wasn't curated it wasn't it wasn't business oriented it was just like I'm taking a risk I'm going to start following something I'm passionate about I'm going to be my own boss I have no idea what to expect but stay tuned and uh, and I got a lot of good oh, feedback oh shocker that connected with people yeah exactly yeah, yeah. a lot of good feedback yeah. of like oh shit shave what's going to happen next this yeah. is, we're stoked for you yeah. you know and uh, and so that felt really good I was like I want to start being a little more vulnerable on here like that that was awesome and um you know, I posted the picture of the skyscrapers out my window view of like, look at this. This is so beautiful. I'm yeah. going to make this shit happen. And uh, I, I started posting a clip of every client I was working with just to show people what I was up to. Um, starting to have all this free time because my schedule allowed me to, you know, have all this free time during the day and do whatever I wanted to do. I was going to Barton Springs all the time. Just loving it. Being free out of being an employee. And, and, um, it was so fulfilling training in the beginning and it still is, but in the beginning it was so special because it's like, it didn't feel like I was working and then I was getting paid more money than I've ever been paid in my whole life. Um, fast forward a few months, I, I just needed to get certified because I needed to, to work at a gym. I wanted to be a little bit more legit, uh, legit. I, uh, I would have like seven sessions back to back at Lamar Union gym in the apartment gym. Like it was my fucking office. I had like <laughs> my coffee just like sitting in one corner and Bluetooth just going nonstop. And then I had like a little waiting room that I would have them wait in. You're kidding yeah, me. It was, I was just owning it, dude. You know, and you know, I've just loved it, dude. Yeah. It's, and this, you know, I'm not trying to sound cocky or whatever, but like this doesn't happen to, from what I hear of like personal trainers, like you don't start out at private training. You know, I thought I was going to, I wanted to start out at the top of private one-on-one training and then see what happens if I can't make it and then kind of trickle down into like, um, you know, working at gold and then working the front desk or like, I thought I was going to have to start at like working a front desk, but I was going to do it, whatever means necessary. But I was like, you know what, let me start at the top and just see what happens. Um, and, and no disrespect to anyone who works at yeah. front desk of a goals. I, you know, I'm just saying like, I, I was going to do what it took and I wanted to start at the top of, and, uh, I made it work, man. I made it work. And it's, it was all a result of just making a lot of connections, a lot of friendships, a lot of networking and just doing my best to be a good person. And, um, um, got an offer from, a guy named Cody Butler, who's, who's the owner of the current gym that I train out of. He turned into like my mentor through this process. He's like, Shay, you got to get certified. How'd you meet him? Uh, he was a regular at my restaurant. And one day he came in wearing the shirt, Heat Boot Camp, And I, I've heard nothing but good things about that place. And some other people that I looked up to in the fitness industry here in Austin worked there. Um, and he's like, you know, 
Shay, we, he didn't say anything about a job or he's like, he just was guiding me, you know, from about June until July. Um, I had no intentions of working there. I wanted to down the road. I just knew I wasn't ready for it or whatever. And, and, uh, so he, he's like, you got to get certified, just take care of that. And then out of nowhere, um, he's like, Shay, we're actually looking to fill a spot. If you get certified by the end of July, I think we can have a, have a spot for you to come train at this gym. We see what you're doing on Instagram. We see these clients that you're working with. We'd love to have them here. And, you know, um, and I think, you know, it was partly, we had a good rapport, we had a good relationship, but it was also like a good business move on his end. He sees me having, you know, seven sessions in a row at an apartment gym. Like if I go and pay rent to him, it's a good business move too. I mean, I get it. And I was stoked. And he was like, yeah, well, you want to come work here. You're going to learn so much from these trainers. And uh, so it was like, get certified. And I was like, because I'm not a good studier. I just kept putting off this damn certification. It's It was overwhelming, man, because I wanted, I was very passionate about like learning all the information, but it's just like sitting there studying just stressed me out. And, um, and uh, so I was like, you know what? July 28th is my birthday. I'm going to set this test date on my birthday as my birthday present to myself just fucking visualize yeah. getting this passing the test so uh from like july 22nd to july 28th i pretty much was in the library at ut for 12 hours at a time i left my phone in the car was just like on it just studying this fat textbook that normally takes i did about 75 percent of studying in one week and that te- that <laughs> that, Dude, that sounds all curriculum probably is like you know, three to four months of of work, and I did all of it almost in one week, and uh, and then that it's the best way to study, man. It sounds like college, it sounds yeah. like high school. Yeah, it's and the best then, way. Just wait. Just and then wait. Later and that wait. day, I was also thinking, this is silly. I can't believe I'm telling this story, but it's like they had their heat summer party at the W pool uh, the next day, and so it was like birthday. If I pass this test, I get to show up to this party as the new fucking personal trainer at the fucking W oh, you yeah. know, for heat boot camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just was like, you know, it was like a visualization thing. And, you know, it was really powerful to just like pass the test on my birthday. Had an awesome birthday. Showed up at that pool party. You know, nobody knew me. I just was in my head. But it was just like, I got to meet some people and other trainers and met the other owner. And, um, it was just really, I felt part of the community. I just yeah. felt like so excited that I'm pursuing this. And it's, um, and then, you know, since then I've just been on fire with like getting more clients and being more active on Instagram. Um, the Instagram thing has just been a lot of trial and error. Like how vulnerable do I want to be? How, uh, how to not sound condescending, how to not sound like I got it all together. Um, and talking down to people, not trying to rescue people, um, it's a, it's a, it's not a fine cheesy. line, isn't it? Yeah. 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 What do you say? So you mentioned earlier about, um, and you're obviously good at building relationships, building rapport, things like that. What are the things that you feel are, that can make people successful at doing that? If someone says, I'm just, I, I feel like I'm just not good at building relationships. If someone's listening to that and thinking that, um, what's, what are some things that you do? Man, that's a really tough question just because I think... There's only so much work that you can do where it just, it really comes down to just like embedded personality traits. Like I, you don't think you can learn it? No, I do. I do. But 
what's something somebody could do tomorrow when they're at their job, when they're on the bus, when they're at the gym, the barista? Yeah. What's something that somebody, somebody that's listening that has trouble with that, what's one thing they could do? Okay, I got one. And this is huge. This is hard for people. It's to be curious about the other person. It's to show interest in the other person, you know, from a, from a genuine place of like, and it could be anyone like the, for example, like I was at the stoplight the other day and this lady came up and washed my windshield, you know, homeless lady. Yeah. And I told her, I said, I don't have any money to give you. She's like, I don't care. You're gonna have a clean window. And I said, you know, it wasn't like, oh, why are you here? What's wrong? Poor thing. And I just was like curious about her life. I was like, do you have any children? Like, what's your name? She's like, my name's Laura. And I said, how's your day going? I was like, ah, I could be a little better. You know, just like some small talk kind of hitting it off. Like, I'm not going to be able to fucking rescue her and I don't want to give you any pity, but let's just, I want to be curious about you for a second. And we had some laughs and that was it. And I drove off. You know what I mean? That's just a small instance of showing interest in another person, even when it doesn't fucking matter. I'm not going to get anything out of the situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's vital, isn't it? That's a really good tip. Yeah. And it's hard to do because we all get stuck in our own heads with everything, you know? You forget, you almost forget to really, really listen to what the people say back right? as well. Yeah. You know? It's a difficult thing to to practice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'll am be the first to admit that a lot of times I just don't feel like it. You know, what's the Isn't point Isn't that of, true, man? You know? There are, but... but it's it's a very moody thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I agree because sometimes I go to the market, and you just feel like you took ecstasy. <laughs> you want to talk to everyone. You're smiling. <laughs> I see a kid. I'm like, hey, little buddy, yeah. and I'm like grabbing the mac and cheese off the top shelf for any person shorter than five foot six. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. here you go. What's your name? <laughs> Where are you from? You know, I'll, I'll catch you later. You yeah. know, like. I'm just in that mood, man. Right. The bar- the person, the uh, checkout lady, you know, I, they're the guy. I just want to know everything about their day. Yeah. Like probably the most charming motherfucker you've ever met. Right. And then I would say 70% of the time, hey, how's it going? Yeah. 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 Yeah, cool. It's, it's 2042. Okay, cool. All right, have a good one. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. That's the other, that's exactly. 70% of the time. Yeah. I'd say. And I think... You know, this is getting more into kind of the the psychology of the inner workings of my mind. But you know, I started learning at an early age when I'd go to therapy of kind of, you know, the way I get value in the world is attention from others. And it was like, I think, strategic of me as a teenager to like, I wanted people on my side. I wanted people to like me. I think we all want people to like us, right? But my self-esteem is... is I think has an unhealthy amount of dependence upon what you think of me. And so it's a blessing and a curse because I have this ability to be a chameleon in day-to-day life, um, which is great, especially in, in my profession and stuff like that. Like I'm able to adapt to certain people's energies. You know, if you're laughing and talking and loud, like I kind of get the right there with you. Or if you're talking calmly, I'm able to get there with you. It's great, you know, but then I kind of lose sight of who I am. And, uh, you know, I could go into a whole another spiel about all that, but I've become really skillful in social situations to build rapport with people um, and to kind of pick up on the, the wavelength that they're operating at. So it's like, even though 
I feel tired and I don't feel like talking to you, I do it anyways because I really want you to like me. I, I is, does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You're talking to the king of that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, <laughs> I, do, I do the exact same thing. But then I've also been really yeah. skillful at like noticing like, oh, the I'm not just like in the elevator like, hey, how you doing? You know, it's 6 a.m. You better have a good fucking day. Cause I'm, yeah, like, one of those annoying motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that. It's, it's like I'm skillful at noticing like where that person's energy is at yeah, also. Yeah, and know? I would imagine your sobriety has a lot to do with that. Yeah. I'm just um, theorizing here from the, from the sidelines, but... Those types of things block even even coffee to a certain extent, you know, or too much sugar. All these things that just really affect your physiological state and mental state. When you start to detox from all that stuff, you do start to get in touch with nature more and people more, where you really start to see things and and feel things in terms of, you know, like as cheesy as it sounds, once again, vibrations and things like that. You're saying meeting people on the right wavelength. Yeah. Um, you are able to tap into that and I feel like read unfog those windows right. and really see the world for what it is yeah. and have those those radio signals coming clearly. Right, right, which again is a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. because I'm getting to really see the beauty that's surrounding us, but I'm also getting really insightful into other people's suffering too, which really? has been really powerful, but it's overwhelming too. Um, and that's kind of, you know, if you look at some of my Instagram posts and stuff like that, I, it's like, I can curate it in a way that's like, I have this pain, you have this pain. I see it in you. Here's what I'm doing to help and and remedy the situation, but doing it in this roundabout way that like, this is what I'm doing about it. And it's possible for you too. That's, that's an excellent point, man. It's the not telling people what to do, yeah, but just sharing your story yeah, and letting people figure it out for themselves. Cause right. none of us want to be told what to do. Right. Nobody wants to say you need to do this to, you know, fix it. Hey, this worked for me. And then you kind of put the pieces together in your head. At least it's a longer term solution. Yeah. You know, when you really, like you said, you figure it out for yourself, yeah. but through the guidance of others. Right, right. And so Instagram has been a powerful platform to, to kind of show up like that. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's something I learned in sobriety too. There's this saying called attraction rather than promotion that we don't want to try to promote people to get sober, but we want to live lives in sobriety, in recovery that look attractive and appealing. So those that are struggling, they don't feel like they they, they can feel hopeful and that it's capable for them as well that they want it. They don't feel like um, there's sort of this like, condescending where the sober person's up here and the other person's down here you know it's more this equal playing field and so that's how i'm trying to i've never once or maybe once give you that once on instagram said hey guys i'm a personal trainer Uh, i'm running a special come work with me um i've never done that i think like i said something like to around those lines but never like all posts all the time I've, but I've done it in a way of like, this is what I'm up to. Um, I'm loving what I'm doing. Here's me and Lucy. This is, she's doing some squats. She's killing it today. That's all. It's like showing the world what I'm up to and making it look appealing. It's, it's genuine. Like we're having fun. Like I'm loving what I'm doing. She's having a good time. And, uh, and then the, the, the viewer, 
they connect with that like oh this person isn't trying to rescue me they're not telling me what to do it's not another person trying to sell me some shit because I'm so overwhelmed with this Mm -hmm. shit it's not another person that's trying to get me to do what they're doing you know there's too much of that and but it's like I can that looks fun like oh I I want to work with this dude yeah, like yeah. that looks fun and yeah. that's what's happening like yeah so yeah it's the um remember when you were a little kid and you would do show and tell yeah the best phrase I've heard recently that is a great one to live by and it's exactly what you're saying is you just switch one word and it becomes show comma don't tell <laughs> Show, yeah. don't tell. Right. And right. that's almost something that I feel like we could all get tattooed on ourselves. Yeah. You know, at least I've wanted to. Um, and there's a quote that I posted on my Instagram last week that is by Ralph uh, Emerson, I believe. And he said, what you do speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly it, right? Right. You, you right. just got to show the people. Yeah. Because um, we all resonate with that a lot. When yeah, very much see so. that kind of stuff. But, you know, at the same time, this whole Instagram thing is, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, that feeds the ego. It's like you want to word things perfectly. Mm -hmm. You want to have these good photos and and, uh, make it look like you got it all together. You want the likes. I mean, I'm no different than anyone else. And and so, yeah, there's a, there's been a lot of navigating through all this, like what feels authentic and what doesn't, you know? And, and I'm still exploring that. And this just in general, like social media is just, it's, it's fucked up. It's like, I, it's like, it's supposed to bring people to closer together and it does to some extent, but it's also creating gaps in human connection. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's literally with everything that's ever come to fruition in technology and human development has the light and the good it's got god and devil in it within it right it is literally the only reason that we're sitting here together is because of instagram yeah having this new friendship hearing your story being able to share it with people um this is all due to technology and instagram and all that kind of stuff but everything's got a dark side like you said yeah exactly you know everything's got the end of the yang and all that stuff because we just got to reconcile and really figure out what we're all going to do with this new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're all just, we're literally all throwing shit into the wind and yeah. trying to see what sticks. Yeah, pretty much. And there's a lot of people making money on the fact that a lot of us don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but it's a fun world. But it's I'm, a fun world. I'm just doing my best to have awareness, you know, of like, what is my internal condition like with all this stuff? Like, oh, that didn't feel right. Mm. Uh, that does feel good. You know, oh, I'm, I'm helping a lot of people with that style of a post or, um, and just kind of navigating it through a little bit more consciously, I guess, you yeah. know, not recklessly and yeah. it could easily happen, you know? Yeah. And it can be, it can definitely be like a, a cause for good. A hundred percent. Um, boy, look at this. Is, a, is that a Husky? No, it's not a Husky. Boy, we just got, we're getting blessed with all the I dogs know, right now. I know. Huh? Um, yeah, man. Well, it's an incredible story, um, and it's very, very cool. Everything that you've done and the way that you've come to the place now. Where do you kind of see when you look back on everything that's happened in your life and you look at where you're at now? 
what's one of the main things that sticks out to you as the biggest learning experience that you've had? Like if you were to sum up that whole process, I know this is a really hard question, Mm -hmm. but if you could somehow sum up the whole experience to now, what would it be? Yeah. Good question. Um, I think the first thing that's coming to mind is just the power in helping other people is that's kind of been the summary that's been like the solution almost of because with with drug addiction it's just a very selfish like I just want to be comfortable at any cost you know what I mean like mom's crying stop and I just need to be comfortable I need to get high and having no ability to, to be there for anyone else. And then it transpires into, from all that darkness into redemption in, into a new way of life where I'm able to use that to, to help other people and to now show up in my day-to-day life as like a, a servant, so to speak, as kind of like a, a conduit from like the strength and love of the universe into like through me I that's what I in my prayers my morning meditations that's what I'm asking for is is strength and guidance and and to to use me in the world to help other people and to connect with their suffering to to, to be a light and this is not you know an everyday thing 24-7 thing but those are my intentions that's what I'm shooting for and I've never been like that you know what I mean this is never used to it just was all about like what can Shay get out of the world and like, so Shay can be comfortable and, and, you know, you imagine like on one end of the spectrum, the Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio, like that kind of shit. Like that's probably, you know, where I was heading, right? Like where a lot of us don't do if we don't get humble. And, and so now I'm being on a spiritual path. It's like, I'm seeing more of what's important in my life and these relationships and, and being a good person. That's Beautiful, man. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for coming on. Where can people find you? Because I'm sure there's going to be people that interested in you and what you're doing and your story. Give them that beautiful Instagram handle. <laughs> I know you've been waiting this whole podcast That's for this That's the only moment. reason why I'm here, yeah, man. What the hell? <laughs> pet some damn dogs and give that Instagram <laughs> handle out. God. Wish we could have did it 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Dude, we've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes 45 yeah. minutes oh, ago. Oh, shit. <laughs> wow. Uh, Instagram is the way to connect with me at S H E A B O L A N D. You'll find me there. Uh, I'm not active on any other social media platforms. So yeah, fuck the rest. Fuck Twitter. Yep. Fuck Facebook. No, it is great, man. I think it's very, um, anyone listening it is, it's, it's, you're adding benefit to my feed when I see it scroll through. I yes. look at your story. I know it's going to be adding something to my life. And that's how you can curate the fa- the Instagram, right? You can make it a little version of your reality that you want by just following the people that add to your life instead of making you feel shitty. Yes, exactly. So, so all right, brother. This has been beautiful. Yes, this has been We're great. Can I give a quick shout out? You want to do a shout out? Quick shout out to, uh, to Heat Boot Camp for helping me get to where I'm at. Yeah. And, now, and Chipotle for, for helping design <laughs> this this athletic body that I have. Dude, do you want to go get some after this? I'm down. Let's do it, I'm bro. fucking starving. Let's do it, man. All right. I can't wait. Let's get out of here. Let's do it. Thanks, right. man. Yeah, later. Later. All righty. Hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I did recording it. And we're going to do a second round. Um, because we really want to have another one where we're just shooting the shit because 
Uh, we have a great time, and he's a great conversationalist. Um, so this one was just more focused on the story, but we're going to come out it with a round two very soon. So, yeah, follow him on Instagram. He's posting great stuff. You can follow me or you can just get off Instagram. Um, I'm using an app right now called InMoment, which tracks all of your usage and then actually blocks the app after a certain amount of time that you say, um, which I need to use that more. I keep like enabling it and then disabling it because I want to check my Instagram because it's addicting. But if anyone's interested in just kind of toning back their social media usage, um, it's a pretty cool app. So I think that's really all I wanted to say on this one. I hope you guys having a good month, having a good summer. Um, There's a lot of change going on. You can kind of feel it in the air. Uh, It's all good stuff most of the time. So I hope that that's what's going on in your life as well. Um, And some great shows coming up. So I have uh, a wide variety of people from relationship experts to uh, my transgender friend is coming on for round two, my buddy Lay, um, authors, all types of cool stuff to kind of keep you plugging away through summer. Um, I'll be posting every week. So love everybody and see you on the next one.